Now, I want to read 42 and 43 as we begin. I want to ask you, why are we studying them together? And what do you see in the reading of them that would lead us to do that? But Psalm 42, it's the beginning of book 2. It says, for the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my soul, O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause. My case against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay, why would we cover these together? Is there any indication as to why we would do that? That a field just falls in the same place all the way through. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Okay. In verse 5 and 11, and then verse 5 of of Psalm 43. Yes. We might call this the refrain, the chorus even. Uh, but it, it's it's the same as, as Boyd says in 42 verse 5 in verse 11 in 43 in verse 5 you see uh, these same lines repeated and um, 
you also find some that are similar, not as like those, but like 42.9 is very similar to 43 verse 2. So you do find connections there that both of them speak of of God as a rock or as a strength. Uh, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? And then a description of going about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. So that is the same. Um, so these are all these are reasons why we link them. But there's a, there's another reason. There's another reason here is because there is no title to Psalm 43. Now, a lot of some of the Psalms will not have titles. In this book, in book 2, only only 43 and 71 have no titles. Those are the only ones. Now, maybe it didn't have a title because it was meant to be one psalm with Psalm 42. That is one suggestion. I will say it does have a title in the Septuagint, but when there is a difficulty like this, uh, we generally follow the... Uh, Hebrew text first. We look to it first and then go to uh, the translations. But those are just a couple of reasons why these Psalms are covered together. Now, what do you notice about the heading itself? The heading itself says a mascal, which is used in 13 of these Psalms. The only one we've encountered it to to this point is Psalm 32. Uh, but it's found in 13 of the Psalms and there are questions as to what it means. Does it mean a joyful song? Does it mean a teaching song? Uh, but it says, a mascal of the sons of Korah. What is different about that title? Every title that we had in book one is David. Deals with David. This is the first psalm that is attributed to someone other than David. And so that is unique. You know, here, the sons of Korah, we've already said that Psalm 43 didn't have a heading in the Hebrew text. In the Greek text, its heading was a psalm of David. Uh, but all the other psalms in this section, Psalms 44, or 42, and 44 through 49, are all associated with the sons of Korah. Also, the sons of Korah are mentioned in the heading of 84 and 85, and 87 and 88. Now, I want to tell you, I was slow in coming to this, what I'm about to tell you. But I do believe that we should connect Korah with the only Korah I can think of in Scripture. And who is that Korah? 
You numbers people ought to know this. Okay. He was the one that led the rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. Remember in that text, it is often pointed out in the first 11 verses that Korah was a Levite. He was a Levite. And the ground opens up and swallows him because of his rebellion to Moses. Now, Numbers 26 will give a census of the sons of Israel. Numbers 26 says, The earth opened up its ground and swallowed uh, them, Dathan and Abiram, along with Korah. This is Numbers 26, verse 10. When the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, so they became a warning. The sons of Korah, however, did not die. Numbers 26, verse 11. The sons of Korah did not die. So Korah, the ground opens up and swallows Dathan and Abiram and all their families. Korah dies, but his children don't die, apparently not participating in his wrong, in his crime. And the sons of Korah are mentioned in 1 Chronicles 26 as being gatekeepers of the temple. They were going to be, they were Levites, and they're part of the personnel that David uses to be gatekeepers of the temple. Now, there are other passages, and some of the sons of Korah seem to have donate, devoted themselves as musicians to the temple and writing songs like this. But how did they feel about that position of being gatekeepers at the temple? I mean, that's not necessarily the highest of positions, being the gatekeeper. But listen to this in Psalm 84, verse 10. Now remember, Psalm 84 is one of the psalms of the sons of Korah. A day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in a tent of wickedness. That's a beautiful statement. So, those are some statements about this introduction to the Psalms. Any questions right there? We could have said more along that line, but but I think that's enough right now. Do you have a question? Do you have an idea? Okay, I think, I don't have headings for this. I don't have headings for each of these sections. But I do think this refrain that is mentioned in verse 5 and verse 11 and 43.5 is a good way to outline the book or outline these Psalms. 42, 1 through 5, 42, 6 through 11, 43, 1 through 5 are the whole Psalm. But let's, let's look at verses 1 through 5. Let's focus right now on verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This word pants in verse 2, or verse 1, excuse me, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. 
But the word pants, as the deer pants for the water brooks, is only used three times, and two of them are right here. The other time refers to the creatures who are panting for water in the midst of a drought in Joel 1 and verse 20. So it's used consistently. It's used for longing for water in a time when there was none. And he said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you with everything that was within him. He longed for God. He says in verse 2, my soul thirst for God, for the living God. Now, I think we will see that this is set in the context of public worship. You notice at the end of verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? When shall I come and appear before God? Now, this has the idea in the original of, of seeing God. But the idea, this, this phrase, it was used often to refer to when people came to the three feasts that God had set aside for you to come to the temple and you come to a place of worship. He is talking here. Not, I'm not saying this doesn't permeate our whole life. It does. It does permeate our whole life. But he's particularly talking about public worship when you come to appear at these moments. And I think he will express that even in verse 4 because he can remember this procession to the house of God. He's going to talk about the house of God, the public worship of God. I want to tell you, because of some of the things that are written in the Psalms and the Prophets, we might be inclined to think where the prophets rebuked them because they brought their animal and their life wasn't consistent with it and they didn't worship God from the heart and they were simply going through the motions. We may be inclined to think, well, everybody was that way in the Old Testament. I think Psalms like this reveal that's not true at all. There were some people for whom coming together to worship God in these public ways was a manifestation of a panting for God and a thirst for God and a hunger for God. Now the question is, which is it with us? Is it a manifestation of the fact that we long for God like the deer longs for the water brooks, that we thirst for God? Is that a description of who we are? May it be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those are beautiful words. And they are not unique to this passage in a sense. The same kind of ideas expressed elsewhere. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, You are my God, I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh yearns for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
in Psalm 143 and verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as in a parched land. There are a few times in my life I've really been hungry. A few times, not many, but a few. There are more often I've been really thirsty. I won't tell you. When you were really thirsty one of those summer days in Tennessee in our all dirt a baseball field and you could taste that dirt. Um, you just long for something to drink. And that is the way that we need to long for God. And it's interesting to me he starts the psalm on that note. Because in this psalm His heart is heavy and his difficulties are many. He faces difficulties with with enemies. But he begins the, the psalm not by expressing all of his problems, but by expressing his desire for God. And he says in verse 3, Tears have been my food day and night. He longs for God like he longs for water, but his food and drink has been his tears. It says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Now, I want you to notice there are a couple of things he does here to show how perpetual his problems are. He says, one, he says here in verse 3, he says, this has been happening day and night. Day and night, the text says. Day and night. These things I remember and I pour... He says, my my tears have been my food day and night. And then he says in verse 3 that this is all day long. So in, in those expressions, he is pouring out his heart about problems that don't seem to go away. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? One of the things we'll see in this song, The psalmist asks questions of God. He asks questions of himself. But his enemy asks questions of him. And the enemy taunts him and says, Where is your God? And we'll see this question in verse 10. Now, somebody could ask, Where is your God? in two ways. It could be a way to mock God. (laughs) Your God's so powerful. Your God's so great. Where is your God now that you're suffering? But it could be that this is from a worshiper of the same God who's using those words not so much to mock his God, but to mock him. You don't have any relationship with God. You're not faithful to God. You're not one of God's children. God won't rescue you. Where is your God? Just keep that in mind. I don't want to tell you. It's painful either way. But it's particularly painful when that question is being asked by someone who serves a false god and they're mocking you with that question. That is the circumstance. 
In Psalm 79 verse 10, when the temple has been destroyed and the question is asked, Psalm 79 verse 10, why should the nation say, where is their God? Why should the nation say that? There's also a case in Psalm 115 verse 2 that question is asked. The nations ask us, where is your God? And the next verse says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. That's our God. But it's not always obvious. And you know why that question is so difficult for us? Because sometimes we're already asking it before the enemies ask it. We're wondering, where is God in the midst of this crisis? Lord, I need your help. Where is your God? But He can remember the days of joy. He can remember going to the house of God to worship with a multitude of people. And then the excitement and the joy in verse 4, these things I remember and pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Oh, the excitement when people are all going to the same place. You know, uh, not too long ago, I had a situation where I was driving somewhere to to speak in a lectureship, and I'm in a rest area somewhere, and someone pulls in the rest area, comes up, calls me by name. I'm not even looking, and I look up and and I say, "Hey, what you doing here?" He says, "I'm going the same place you're going," <laughs> and I thought that was a good answer. Uh, but uh, the point. When you're all traveling together on foot and you're all singing songs and you're all praising God, what a joyous occasion. And he remembers those days. But now he asks in verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you been disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise Him for the help of His presence. So he's addressing himself there. Oh my soul. Why are you in despair? He is discouraged. He is broken. He is, his heart aches. And he's asking himself, why? Why? Why have you become disturbed? And he's calling upon himself, hope in God. I have never understood why people think it is strange that someone would speak to themselves and talk to themselves. I talk to myself all the time. And sometimes I give myself some pretty good advice. (laughs) And sometimes we preach to ourselves like here to try to keep our mind focused on what we need to focus on. But it isn't easy. And he's preaching to himself Hope in God. Hope in God. For I will again praise Him. I'm in despair. I'm discouraged. Hope in God. Any comments there on the first five verses or questions?
Yes. What do we suppose the time frame is of this? I, I've read some that think it's it's along the same time of David and and as he's fleeing and running from Saul that the Korah would be as well, and, and those that are loyal to, to David is yeah. is that sort of the? I just I really don't know at all. I don't know if if it's necessary. And we have attributed the Psalms that say David to David. Uh, but I don't know about one that even doesn't mention his name. Now, the sons of Korah were associated with him in that. But I mean, we can think, too, how many times... This, this is this is not meaning to, to put off the question uh, because we don't know the answer. But how many times do we experience things in our lives where we can feel the same kind of tension that's expressed here that we're longing for God and we're sad and broken hearted we're remembering good times but we're discouraged and broken and telling ourselves keep hoping God I've never been chased by the king and threatened to kill, be killed like David was with Saul but still I've experienced things like that on a lesser level I'm just saying that to say it didn't have to be as dramatic as that for the situation to fit. Um, you had something too? No. Okay. You, look, you look like a man with a thought. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a that's a that's a smart look. You know, just keep keep that keep that look. But it could fit with being in captivity too. It could fit with a whole host of situations. You know, some have suggested something like captivity because he wants to go to the temple but can't. But but at the same time, there were other kind of minor captivities before the big captivities, and sometimes people it may be. Because he mentions Mount Hermon, where is that? That's in the land of Israel in the north. Some think he's just kind of, he's up north and they won't let him go south to worship in the temple. Now, that might be the situation. So, you know, it's just, it's just difficult to say. And it's, in a way, that's kind of the question I dread the most. So, so but go ahead. Sorry to start with that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I think your, your point is clear, and I think we have to see it, that my faith is strengthened because it's my faith in God, and it's my circumstances that strengthen that faith. And the challenges and circumstances that I may encounter may be frivolous and not impossible to somebody else, but it's the faith that is strengthened by me and God and who God is. And so we need to appreciate that in others when we think, oh, well, just get over it. Yeah. That should be yeah. so simple for you to just get over that thing because I had to deal with this. But we, we need to be as patient as, like you said, yeah. perhaps this isn't the same circumstance, same time. Maybe it is something very simple, but boy, they sure feel like they are without their God and their, their faith is going to grow because of what they ultimately see in who God is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're so right in... Um, there are things that probably shook us early at, in our days in following Christ that would not now. But at the same time, some people haven't walked that far before along the road. And they will need understanding and help to get through those simple things. And it's good for us all to try to remember that. Well, you're um, not complaining to others about God. He's... He himself 
is talking to himself about how much he needs God. Yeah, yes, exactly. And um, yes, he he is. Um, let's 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 go on and let's see all he says in verse six. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Now, we don't know exactly where Mount Mizar is. Mount Hermon was in the northern part of the land of Israel. And so, it may indicate that he is there. Some suggest he's not using this literally, but but we don't know. He may be, he may not be. Before he used the image of water to emphasize that he longs for water like an animal longs for a water brook in the midst of a of, of a dry, thirsty day. And here in verse four, in verse seven, the water image is different. Here he thinks he's drowning to death. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers or your waves and your waves have rolled over me. It sounds there like he's drowning. Which again, that's going to be a typical description in the book of Psalms. Psalm 69, 1 and 2 is going to start this kind of way. The book of Jonah, of course, we see a man who literally was drowning and uses words similar to this. But deep calls to deep, at the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Now, I read it a second time to emphasize something. Is God's waterfalls, is God's breakers, and God's ways. Whatever these difficulties are, are from Him. But also, in verse 8, just as in some way the problem is from Him, in verse 8, the solution is from Him. As well. So the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. The Lord who sends the waves that are about to drown us is the Lord who sends His loving kindness to deliver us. Now, My point in saying that he attributes the waterfalls and the breakers and the waves to God is to blame God. God knows what he's doing. But God may put us in the deep water in order to strengthen our faith and God help us in those times when we're there. But I want you to notice, we we wrote verse 3 up, his pain was perpetual. This is kind of answered a little bit in verse 8. In verse 8, he mentions that God will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And the Bible says that God will give him songs in the night. His answer to perpetual pain is His perpetual loving kindness. And his song will be with me in the night. Now, we stated a couple of weeks ago, a lot of times when you see songs in the Bible, is in the context of a person being happy and joyful. There's a passage in Job 35, 9 and 10 that's similar to this, that talks about God giving us songs in the night. And the idea is, I think, that night is often a time of 
Uh, night is often a time, it's a time associated with darkness, it's a time associated with sadness. Weeping may last through the night, but shouts of joy will come in the morning. Psalm 50, verses 3 and 5. Uh, excuse me, Psalm uh, 30, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 35 and 6. So, so here, you have this same kind of thing here that God gives songs even in the most unexpected times. The darkness of the night. And in verse 9, I will say to God, My rock, why have you forgotten me? He feels forgotten by God at this moment, like we see in 13.1. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As the shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? All day long. Again, his pain is perpetual. It goes back, the psalm goes back and forth between difficulties and blessings. By the way, did you notice the thought in verse 4? Therefore, I remember, he remembers these times of going in procession to the worship of God. In verse 6, he remembers God from the land of the Jordan. I remember you from the land of the Jordan. But he remembered God. He remembered going to the house of God to worship. But in verse 9, God's forgotten him. Now, that's not the final word. I know. But I do know that we feel that way sometimes. That God has forgotten. And you see that here. Why have you forgotten me? In verse 10, they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then that refrain, as Boyd called attention to at the beginning, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Anything specifically there that we need to say anything about? The help, the help of my countenance. What's the? What's the? What do you see as the point there? Well, I think the one is that God, is that God can lift up okay. His his problems and uh, his God can lift him up from his uh, pit um, I'm trying to look for the um, let's see yeah it says it says one who saves it can be translated saves the word help saves my face uh, but God's the one who lifts him up and delivers him and rescues him what else? One, one version just says, "My Savior and my God." My Savior and my God. How is that different than verse five? Help of His presence. So it's, it's if it's the same word in eleven and then in thirty-three five countenance. Okay, the word presence. Let me see in verse six. Okay, the same word presence is fact. Yeah, it is the same. That part is the same in verse 5 as it is in verse 11. Now, that may not be indicated by the translation. I do not know why 
translations sometimes feel the need to take a phrase, the same phrase within a psalm and translate it different ways. Because to me that's kind of a marker if you're really reading carefully and you didn't know the original language, you could see. You could see, hey, same phrase we're dealing with. And uh, But translations will do that a lot. I would... Um, I would... There are more benefits. I, I would think more highly of the benefits of the NIV than Simon stated this weekend. I, but this, the NIV is terrible about that. The NIV will take the same phrase and translate it somewhere. It's used later in a psalm, translate it radically different. That is the weakness of the NIV. The strength of the NIV is its readability. And I will tell you, if it comes to people, the key thing, this was one of the key things I heard years ago about the NIV. That, that by tra- this, granted, this was a main translator of the NIV. Okay. But they, a study had been done. This is going to be 30 years. Between people who main study Bible was the NIV and main study Bible was the King James Version. And people who read the NIV read three times as much because they felt they could understand it. To me, uh, that's first you do that, then you start looking at the exact words and see some of the differences. And that's not meant to be... We can give Simon a heads up here, listen to the tape. It's not meant to be a complete refutation of all he did. But uh, I would just agree on that point. Yes? Um, is there a significance in verse 8? You know, he's he's used my God, my God, but then he switches in verse 8 to, to Yahweh, the Lord? Like, what's okay. Well, thank you for that question because that he makes up for your earlier question. Uh, but Psalms Psalms forty two to eighty three are usually called uh, the Elohim section of the Psalm because usually it will use the word Elohim for God or El or something like that in the Hebrew text. It is it is the word most frequently used, the word LORD in all capital letters will not be used as frequently for the name of God in this section of the Psalms as it was in 1 through 41. Okay? It won't be. Now, um, this, we don't know all the reasons for that. And we don't know why is that break right there because that break is between book two and book three. I mean, I mean, between, you know, right there halfway through book three. But I will say, if you want to see the difference, Psalm 14 is almost word for word like Psalm 53. Psalm 14 uses Yahweh three, four times and Elohim three times. Psalm 80, 53 uses Elohim seven times. So, it, it, it shows the, the, the big contrast. But yes, that is unique. It's the only time the word Lord is used in this psalm. Okay, 43. He's making a, a direct plea to God here. He has before, but, but, but he's directing... Addressing him directly, vindicate me, O God, plead my case against an ungodly nation. 
Plead my case. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, for those of you again in numbers class, that word, plead my case. Remember we talked about in Numbers 20 the other day, they contended with Moses, verse 3 and verse 13. It's the same word. It's both... The, the verb plead, the, the noun case, are both from that same root word. And, and, and it, it's a common word, but I, but I wanted to share that with those of you that we talked, to this, talked about this word with the other day. Vindicate me, God. Plead my case against an ungodly nation. doesn't sound now like the enemy is just one person, but a whole nation. But then he goes back at the end of verse one to an unjust man. He speaks of God as the God of his strength. Why have you rejected me? Just like he asked, why have you forgotten me? In 42.9, why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the enemy? Oh Lord, uh, excuse me, he does not say that. He just says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me and bring me to your holy hill. Now that phrase holy hill has been used before to refer to the temple or the tabernacle. Lead me. This is so focused on public worship is what I'm trying to stress. But send your light and your truth and let them lead me and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places which is the word for tabernacle that I may go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy is God our exceeding joy He says, to God, my exceeding joy upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, um, I want you to notice before... You may have a question on that. If you want to, you can call it out real quick. But even before we go to what these Psalms tell us about Jesus, and in that process we'll explain a little more, I want you to notice, and you can call out some things with me, what does, how does this, how do these Psalms describe God? How do they describe, how, like Psalm 42 and 43, what do we learn about God in these Psalms? He provides salvation. Okay. He is a saving God. Uh, the help, um, that word help is a word salvation, but He is, um, He is salvation. 
which is revealed in forty in, in all those refrains, forty-two five, forty-two eleven, forty-three five. Look at what it says in verse 2, 42.2. For I thirst for God, for the living God. When God is called the living God, it is often the context to show the futility of idols. That's the case in Jeremiah 10, where he talks about that their gods are like a, a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. They can't move. But our God is the living God. And remember Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 that you turn from dead idols to serve a living God. That's the idea of God is active in the events of the world. Uh, God is constantly showing Himself. He is our salvation. He is, in two of these passages, He is the object of our hope. Our hope is in Him. He is our salvation. He is our hope. Our rock. Yes, that's right. He is our rock. He says, actually, my rock, but we know this applies to all of us. He is our rock. He is... God of my life and date. Okay, 42.8. God of my life. We could say our life. Provides refuge. Okay, he is. He's a god of refuge. In verse, I was saying verse nine. That's the idea of, of rock. But three and a half. Okay, it's verse three. Verse three. three two. Okay, forty three. Yes, forty three. Yeah, two. He's our refuge. He is our strength. Have we said strength yet? Um, he is our strength. And I'll tell you something else. Summing all this up, I love that phrase, that He is my exceeding joy. He is our joy. He gets us out of bed in the morning and puts us to bed at night in the sense that our lives are consumed by Him. He is our our highest Joy. Now, I think that we will see there are many ways in which these psalms speak of Jesus. Now, I want you to give good answers, but at the same time, I want to present my points in the order I want to present them, you know? And so, so it's, it's, you know, it's hard to call them out and have to say, wait on that. Or, um, But let me give you a couple that I wanted to give first about... I, I, I call these more passages just about life. Uh, a lot of them are going to focus on the cross of Jesus. But the lie. He says in 42.3 that tears have been my food day and night. It's not a word connection here, but it's just Jesus is described in Isaiah 53 verse 3 
It's a man of sorrows. And we sing a song sometimes. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I want to tell you, I tell you this to all of you, but I say it particularly to those of you who are younger. If you think, you know, why is my life so sad? I'm serving God. Why, why sometimes do I face disappointments? Why do I face hardships? Look at what He faced. Look at what He experienced. When people say, oh, the Bible's just about us being happy. God just wants us to be happy. Isn't it a shame Jesus never got to share in that? Or not very much. But He does. Now. And there will be happiness. There will be joy. Unspeakable. But it may come after a night of tears. Or even a lifetime of tears. May God help us. He says, God, in verse 3, 43-3, send forth your light and your truth. I am the light of the world. Send forth your light. Send forth your truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In Jesus, God has answered this prayer to send forth His light and to send forth His truth in a remarkable way. God has sent forth His light and sent forth His truth in the One who is the light and who is the truth. And also in that verse, it says, Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Uh, Excuse me, let them lead me is the phrase I was... The phrase lead... Or guide, may your light and your truth lead me or guide me. The word that's used there in the Septuagint, the word that's used there in the Greek translation, is used in John 16, verse 13, when Jesus said, I will send my Spirit and He will lead you, guide you into all truth. So these passages deal with the life of Christ. I wanted to present those before we get to passages that deal with the cross. Now, I may have missed something with the life if you want to bring it out of Jesus. What are some other passages that tie to the cross from John, from, from Psalm 42 and 43? More to build on that for just a minute. Um, somebody pointed out that the truth and the life and, and ultimately Jesus leads us to God, but um, the progression there of on your holy hill, I don't know yeah. if there's a connection to Jerusalem, in your dwelling place, the temple, yeah. at the altar of God, mm-hmm. and in my exceeding joy in God Himself. Yes. I think that, and, and we see that in, you know, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Oh, yes. All of, all of that. I, 
I'll tell you one thing that I'm looking for, and, and I don't remember. We know in the Bible that the temple, the tabernacle, is a type of, of heaven. Uh, you don't see that phrase, just holy hill used. But all these things foreshadow his life on earth and ultimately our eternal rest as well. And particularly, um, I'm thinking of the holy hill and was thinking about that in that regard today. But yes, those are good comments. It's a good thought. How about the cross? What do you see? It's a different kind of idea almost, but the thirsting for God and then Jesus saying, I thirst. You know, okay. You know, yeah, it, I, d- I don't know if it is completely different. I mean... It, because he wasn't he wasn't thirsty for what they gave him. Yes. And, and this is, in this sense... By the way, which gospel is it that said where Jesus says, I thirst? Because it's John. Okay. Remember that there's only one statement on the cross in Matthew and Mark. And it's the same. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The three in Luke that are not paralleled, three in John that are not paralleled. But it's in John that he says, I am thirsty. Now, I think that's interesting that it's John where he says that. Because it is also in John where it is pictured of Jesus. He talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. It says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. And she says, sir, give me some of this water that I may not have to come and draw again. Jesus says in John 7, verse 37, turn over there and read exactly how it is said. But he said, um, it talks about all believers. It says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And then in verse 38, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, from his innermost beings shall flow rivers of living water. Then also, John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will not thirst. Isn't it interesting that in the very gospel where Jesus says, I thirst, that he most often speaks of the salvation that he brings in terms of satisfying us with water. So the one who is the water of life cries, I thirst at the cross to make it possible for us to drink of this water of life. So yes, I do think that ties in. The uh, even though he is crying for physical drink, he's a real person who becomes thirsty. He's also God at the same time, and and I think that that takes on a whole new significance in light of all John has said about water. I think too is just his his continual focus on God, his yeah. recognition of his need for God. Yeah. At that point, the most. Yes, yes. He's thirsting for him, even. Um, They cry to. They cry in verse. um, 
In 42.3, Where is your God? Where is your God? They cry to the sufferer of Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Isn't that in effect what they're saying to Jesus? He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he delights in him. So the statement that they make in 42.3 and 42.10 in Matthew 27.43, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Where is your God is in effect what they're saying. And it's interesting, the word rescue that's used in 43.1, the word rescue is the word that is also that is used in the Greek translation of Matthew 27, 43. In the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the same word used here in the Greek translation of the New Testament. Jesus was not rescued from evil men at this moment. He was not rescued from evil men at this moment. His enemies continued to taunt him, in effect, where is your God? But the God of the cross is the God of the resurrection. And Jesus will show us, Jesus will show us that even if we die with people taunting us, where is your God? There will be a deliverance. There will be a rescue. But there's, there's more. I mean, there's so many points here. There's more. The word that is used in verse 5 in the New American Standard Bible, why are you in despair, O my soul, is a word that is used in Matthew 26, verse 38, when Jesus was telling Peter and James and John in the garden of his deep grief. The word that is used, the second word that's used, this is the word translated despair in the New American Standard Bible. The word that is translated um, in 42.6, there's another word that's translated despair. It is the same, both times it's the same Hebrew word, but the Greek Translation used a different word, and the Greek translation is talking about how he was troubled, and Jesus uses that term in light of the cross in John 12 and verse 27. I want to try to get a handle on this. If you are in despair, and you are broken, and you are troubled because of something you've tried to do right, Jesus has walked that ground before us. Jesus has entered into all that suffering and all that pain. And He's experienced all those things. And the Bible says, Hope in God. Hope in God. And Phil may have made this point earlier. That word hope is the, the word that's used in the Greek translation is used 
In Matthew 12 and verse 21, in His name, the Gentiles will hope. He is the source of all salvation. He is our hope for each of us. I'm sure I'm missing something. What what do y'all got that I that I, I should have said? I think that the psalmist understands that God's timing is not the same as his timing. Yes. I, I believe he understands that, and at the same time, I think we all have trouble understanding that when it's our time of crisis. Um, you know, deliverance ought to be immediate. So I, I think I think we all understand it intellectually. And, and, and by the way, I understand this pretty well with your difficulties, you know. But when it comes to mine, why isn't there immediate relief? You know. So, again, it's state we need to be patient with other people because always easier to give advice than to live it. What else do we see? I can't help but keep going back to Genesis 15.1 as well, the, the covenant promise to Abraham and very similar language, right, in the fact that God will be a shield and his reward will be great. So, again, exceedingly mm-hmm. joyful. Um, and he points out those stars. And so tying all of this fully uh, to what you're saying here from Jesus yeah. on the cross was, was promised even before the psalmist was writing. And oh, yeah. And the joy that is found in the Lord only, that we have just a world that's broken that tries to fill it with, you know, Facebook likes or whatever, yeah. fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, but the, the exceeding joy only comes from God. And exceeding life. joy comes from God and... To, to get on the image that we used at the first of the psalm, you know, of our soul panting for God like the deer for the water brooks and thirsting for God, in each person there is a thirst and hunger for God that only He can feel. And we will try to feel that with all kinds of other things. And some do a better job than others. But all of them will end up leaving us Hungry and thirsty. It is only the bread of life that will satisfy that deepest need. Cars run on gasoline. Men run on God. and Neither get very far without the other, C.S. Lewis said. And he talked about a God-shaped vacuum in every life that only he can fill. Now, you may feel a longing to be popular, to be liked among your friends. You might feel uh, a, a desire for more money. All of these are a craving for a satisfaction that will all not satisfy. Um, if we're talking to a group of really prominent people, we may say power. And some people are satisfied, just want the position of power, not to accomplish anything. Just to be powerful. But all those things are going to leave us empty. And only He can satisfy. May God help us always to keep that in mind. And let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we do thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for sending forth Your light and Your truth in Jesus. We thank you that he cried, I thirst.
so that our thirst may be satisfied. Lord, most of all, we thirst for you. May we realize you as our greatest need. May we realize you as the one who can quench our thirst. And may you be our exceeding joy. We can ponder the cross of Christ. And we should. But we don't want to look on it, Lord, simply academically. We want to stand in awe of your love for us. What words can we say that adequately express how great a God you are? Thank you, God, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brad's got a song ready or songs ready. I don't know if it's singular or plural. Well, I have two. I should have had one. (laughs) Should have combined them. Should have combined them. I don't know. We don't. We like to sing. Guys, I'll give you one. You come one. Here's the first one. It's the second one. So go behind Isaac so he can get anyone. <clears throat> What's the tune of this first one? Um da 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 So the first one, um Almighty God beyond the veil. Um at the end of verse five we will sing that tag like the song has in it. So if you're not familiar with that, you'll just have to play along. Um since I don't have the notes for that one, but we will conclude Psalm 42 with the way that that song concludes. Okay, everybody. everybody got that first one? Okay. I have to turn this up. So me, like did and long for flowing streams, so long as my soul, O God, for you. I thirst for God, the living God, when can I see the face of God, the face of God, my tears are filled with day and night. Men say to me, where is your God? My soul poured out, I see again that throng I led to reach God's house. The shouts, the songs, the crowds, the feast, my soul, why so bow down, disturb, why so disturb, home now.
to the tune I'm not ashamed to own my Lord
praise Him still, my help, my God is He. Very good. Good job.